0: Hi, this is Allison Sheridan of the No Silicast podcast, hosted at Podfeet.com, a technology geek podcast with an ever so slight Apple bias. Today is Sunday, May 15th, 2022, and this is show number 888. This is also the 17th anniversary of the No Silicast. I think the craziest thing about that statement is, I was thinking about it, my daughter Lindsay is 34 years old, which means I've actually been doing this show for half of her lifetime, more than half of Kyle's lifetime. How nuts is that? Well, anyway, every year on the anniversary of the show, I thank listener Neil because he was the very first person to ever write to me about the podcast. He wrote in when I had podfaded after four shows. But this year, I want to thank someone else for their encouragement. 17 years ago, Episodes 2, 3, and 4 were all about what I was learning at the Wall Street Journal's All Things Digital conference. On the very first day of that conference, I met David Roth, and he and I have been close friends ever since. I recorded episode two the very night that he and I met, so he may actually be the longest listening Nocilla Castaway of all. Since that day, he has continued to support my work here by being snarky, making fun of me, and complaining when I make the mis- listeners do math during the show. I will never forget how annoyed he was when I showed my work on calculating whether a portable battery could charge a laptop. Whether you've been listening for a decade and a half or whether you just joined us, I want you to know that I love doing this show because of the community of friends I've met along the way. Thank you very much for listening. We actually have not one, but two chit-chats across the pond light this week. Now, the first one's kind of a cheat. One of my pet peeves is podcasters who air reruns. This week, I am that podcaster, but I think I can justify what I'm doing, so bear with me while I make some excuses for it. On June 1st, 2014, Dr. Marianne Gary made her debut appearance on Chit Chat Across the Pond. In this terrific interview, she explained her research and the research of others in the field of how memories are formed and retrieved. Every time Dr. Gary comes on as a self-proclaimed crusher of dreams, these episodes seem to garner the most interest from the listeners. This seminal episode with Dr. Gary is the best of the best and it crushes every dream you have that your memory is flawless and it's just everyone else who's misremembering things. She explains the repressed memory fad that started in the 1990s and how damaging this never scientifically validated belief was to so many people. She explains how she can actually induce false memories in people at an alarming rate. Now, here's why I'm rerunning it. Eight years ago, Chit Chat Across the Pond was not a standalone podcast. Instead, it was embedded inside the No Silicast episode number 473. I've always wanted to be able to just point people directly to this interview, and I couldn't because it didn't even have a chapter mark to jump to in the audio. Not only is it a fabulous interview and one where she mocks me at every turn, I want new listeners to hear it, but even if you have heard it, it is delightful to listen to again. I asked Marianne to listen to it and asked her whether she'd want to re-record because of changes in the last eight years, and she said, no, it's great just like it is. Now, in the very beginning, I do say that she works at the University of Victoria in Wellington, New Zealand, but since then, she's moved her research lab and teaches at the University of Waikato in Hamilton, New Zealand. Now, I hope you'll go back and listen to this episode, and you can find it in your podcatcher of choice, of course, under Chitchat Across the Pond Light. Now, both Bart and uh, Pat Dangler said they were so excited to see a new episode with Dr. Gary and found out it was a rerun and then listened and it was all fun again. So even if you have heard it, I think you'll enjoy it a second time through. When I told Marianne how sad people were that uh, this was not a new episode, she said, hey, ask the audience, what would you like to know about memory? Because she knows a lot of stuff about it. So if you have any questions that would help make a full new Chit Chat Across the Pond, she would love to come on and talk to you again. Okay, now let's talk about our second Chit Chat Across the Pond, which is a new episode. Back in August of 2019, Bart Bouchatz told us about how someday in the future, we would be able to be living in a passwordless future of bliss because of something called FIDO, also known as Fast ID Online. Back then, it was really only helping corporations, but this week, the FIDO Alliance made an announcement that shows real promise that this dream will be realized for normal humans. In this episode of Chit Chat Across the Pond Light, Bart gives us a human-friendly explanation of why Fido is awesome, how it will work, why it works, and what problems it solves. He even breaks it down into who will have to do what for this to work, and the good news is that normal humans won't have to do anything at all to make it work. While this may sound like a super nerdy topic, and it does include a few brief ventures into private public key cryptography, it really is a joyful discussion of a future without password breaches. When Bart and I stopped recording, I asked him, did you notice how much I was smiling during this recording? I think you'll really enjoy hearing about Fido and why passkeys rock. And of course, you can find this second episode of Chit Chat Across the Pond in your podcatcher of choice. You know that I'm a huge fan of all products from Rogue Amoeba, and I couldn't do any of the podcast work I do without Audio Hijack. In my blog post entitled Audio Hijack 4 So Much More Than a New Coat of Paint, I sang the virtues of the newly redesigned Audio Hijack 4. Now it's time to learn what Audio Hijack 4 can do and how better than through a video tutorial created by me for Screencast Online. Now, remember, Screencast Online is a subscription podcast, but you can get a free seven day trial and watch this video tutorial and the back catalog to see if this service provides the education on Mac and iOS applications that you'd like to experience. To help you decide, I've posted a little teaser video for the full tutorial over at Screencast Online. And remember, Audio Hijack is accessible via VoiceOver. I bought myself a toy that I've been wanting for a long time a digital microscope. My idea was that it would be fun for me to explore the microscopic world with my future scientist buddy, my grandson Forbes. I wasn't sure how they worked or how much they cost, but I knew that they existed, so I went on a hunt. I perused options on Amazon looking for one that would work with the Mac and iOS. I wasn't sure how much I'd be using it, but I wanted to have both options between the two platforms. I settled on the Tackleee I'm going to say it's T-A-K-M-L-Y, and actually, technically, they put a T in front of that, so it might be T-Takmily. It's very difficult to pronounce, but anyway, it's the Takmily Wireless Digital Microscope with 5,653 ratings and 4.5 stars. There were less expensive models in the $20 range, but they didn't seem to have the features of the Takmily for $38. What you get in the box is a small cylinder 1.3 inches in diameter and 5.3 inches long, which is the actual microscope. You also get an articulated base to hold the microscope in position while you move objects into your field of view. They included a micro USB to USB-A cable, which can be used to connect the microscope to a computer and is used to charge the internal battery. I couldn't find any specs on the size of the battery or how long it should last, but Forbes and I played with it for quite a bit without running out of juice. It still has juice last time I checked. If you choose to use the microscope with a Mac, they suggest you use QuickTime or Photo Booth as the viewer since this device is essentially a USB camera. I looked at that USB-A cable when I first opened the box and realized I'd have to walk all the way down the hall to grab a USB-C dongle to connect it to my Mac. That was clearly way too much work. Well, the Quick Start Guide explained that with their app for iOS and Android, you can use the microscope wirelessly. The app they, call, uh, the app they have in the App Store is called MaxC, M-A-X-S-E-E. When first launched, it explains that you need to connect to the device's own Wi-Fi network. I pushed the power button on the microscope to start its own Wi-Fi. Then on my phone, I switched to settings slash Wi-Fi, and immediately I saw a network called MaxC Ada. I selected that network and then flipped back to the MAC-C app, and the entire screen became the view of the microscope. I've dealt with a lot of devices before where have to connect to their Wi-Fi, and they are notoriously fiddly, but the Takmaline microscope took very little fiddling to connect. The next thing I expected to be fiddly was the little articulated mount for the microscope. It is a single plastic wing nut to tighten the joints, and yet it worked really well to hold the microscope in position while maintaining flexibility in positioning. Since I had a five-year-old assistant, I did have some stability problems, but that's a whole different issue. The TechMillie microscope has a dial which turns on and changes the brightness of a ring of LEDs around the camera tip. In Forbes and my experiments, this light light source was essential to getting a good clear view of our subjects. The LEDs and the tip are protected inside a clear plastic cylinder. Several times, my able assistant wasn't quite as delicate with the microscope as I might have hoped, but that clear plastic protective cylinder really did its job as he jammed it straight down on things. They also include a small plastic cap to protect the tip, which is easy to forget to take off. But when you look through the microscope, you'll see bright red lettering on the cap alerting you to the fact that you forgot. I think it actually says open it. (laughs) Anyway, not that that happened to me more than once. There's an easy thumb dial on the cylinder that says 50x to 1000x. Now you would expect that this is the magnification factor, but that's not actually the function it provides. It seems to be more of a focusing ring that you can change depending on how close you are to your subject. I found a pretty funny section in the Amazon ad that elaborates quite a bit on this topic. Here's what it says. Quote, A funny tool. This electronic microscope is more of a fixed-focus magnifying glass, not a traditional microscope. Not suitable for professional, serious biologists. This is definitely a very interesting thing for parents, adults, teachers, students, kids, children, collectors, testers, electronics repair folks, and inquisitive inquisitive folk who are interested in exploring skin, hair, scalp, trichomes, and the microscopic world. There is so much to love in that one paragraph. I'm glad that they clarified it's a magnifying glass, but calling it fixed focus makes no sense since the dial does change the focus. I like that they call it a funny tool perhaps they meant a fun tool. I love the warning that it's not suitable for professional serious biologists. I then had to go look up what trichomes are. According to the dictionary, they're the small hair or other outgrowth from the epidermis of a plant. I'm not sure the device even qualifies to see the microscopic world, but Forbes and I did get to see some really cool stuff with it. We were setting up the microscope when Forbes was eating a cherry tomato. And as always happens with cherry tomatoes, it squirted a seed out onto his napkin. He pushed the napkin under the microscope and it looked exactly like an egg yolk. He started poking it with the tiny stem of the tomato and it even moved like an egg. It was super cool. One of the advantages of using a phone or a tablet with this kind of microscope over Wi Fi is you can simply pick up your display to show it to other people in the room. We did it with my iPad Pro and later my iPhone, and it was super fun for us to be able to show what we were seeing without having to drag people over to the microsco- microscope to take a look. The Maxi app also allows you to capture photos and videos of what you're seeing. It keeps them in a the library in the app, but if you give the app permissions to your photos library, it saves them there too. The app lets you change the resolution from 640 by 480 to 1280 by 720 or 1920 by 1080. I saw no reason to have a lower-res image, so we stuck with 1920 by 1080 The camera part of the Maxi app works perfectly, but if I had to make one suggestion, it would be to add some sort of feedback to let you know that the photo has been successfully taken. You see, when you tap the camera button, nothing visually changes on screen. The icon doesn't even change, like, from light to dark, so you have to trust it that it captured the photo or flip over to Photos to verify. I left the room for a bit, and Forbes' dad, Nolan, found a dead fly, and they put it under the scope. They were able to get a wicked cool close-up of the fly head, where you can clearly see the tiny parts of the fly's compound eyeballs and the hairs on his legs, its legs and body. For the squeamish, it's pretty creepy, but for the scientist and the rest of us, it's amazing. We went down to where there's a creek in town and gathered some stagnant water to hopefully find amoebas. Now, I'm not sure this quote-unquote microscope would have found them if they'd been there, but we didn't see anything cool in the water like we'd hoped. Instead, a big surprise was how cool carpeting looks really close up. We also took a look at the cover of a book he had that had a glossy color photo on the front. We discovered a very unusual pattern of screen printing. It's hard to describe. It's basically yellow with dark brown concentric rings that have flecks of yellow, green, and orange in them, and then radial lines e- em- emanating from those contra- concentric circles. I've never seen anything like it. I have a feeling Forbes and I will be playing with a Tacmalee microscope for a long time, but we've already gotten our $40 worth of joy out of it. I put a link in the show notes to the model we bought, but you might also want to take a look at the newer model TacMalee are selling. Instead of the articulated arm, which, like I said, works pretty well, the new one has a simple bendy arm that's attached to a large black base with lines on it for comparative measurement. Now, I just noticed that Thackmally also sell an endoscope for only $19. It looks like I can start my own medical practice. But seriously, the endoscope they show is designed to snake the long, slim, semi-flexible cable down into pipes and other hard-to-reach places to see what's going on inside. That might be a handy tool to have around. Back in March, alert reader Anthony Walla noticed something annoying about the PodFeed homepage when viewing it from his iPhone 11 Pro. You know how I have a graphic of a MacBook with big red buttons superimposed over it for the various categories of content on PodFeed.com? When I first designed that look, I took great care to test usability on all different sizes of screens. I made two nice rows of red buttons on wide-format screens like tablets and laptops, and they collapsed down into a vertical column of buttons on the small screens on phones. But over time, I've added a few more buttons to help surface the awesome content that Bart creates. I remember distinctly adding these special pages shortly after Bart wrote a long, detailed article on Chit Chat Across the Pond about GDPR. We wanted a way people could get to that content more easily. To be honest, I haven't designated too many things with that moniker, but it includes my privacy policy, BART's DNS Resolver article, Dorothy's programming by Stealth Index, my mammoth iOS 11 mind map of doom, trademark Donald Burr, my live show setup, which is really there for me as a reference guide when things go wrong, a reference guide on how to bypass a Verizon Fios router to use your own Wi-Fi router to control the network, and NoCillaCast Live, which is available everywhere. In addition to the special pages button, I later added one for security bits, figuring that it's such a good reference resource, it should be available at a push of a button rather than filtering through the blog post to find it. And then Bart Helm and I collectively created the Taming the Terminal book from the internationally famous podcast by the same name, and I made that its own button. I had honestly forgotten it had its own button on the front page, and I always go hunting for it other ways. Well, each time I added a new button, I should have been rechecking to make sure that no device had trouble viewing the homepage, but I never once did that. Tony sent me a note with a screenshot showing that all of the buttons after support the show were missing, so he couldn't join the conversation, see the special pages, or download the most awesome Taming the Terminal book. I wrote back and patiently explained that his phone screen was just too small. He simply had to scroll to see the rest of the buttons. Tony sent a second screenshot that illustrated it wasn't a scrolling on a small device problem. The buttons really aren't there. In the second screenshot, he scrolled up so that you could see the content below the buttons, and sure enough, the gray MacBook was cutting off along with the buttons below the uh, right below support the show. I let this problem simmer in the back of my mind for a few weeks, dreading trying to figure out why this was happening. Finally, I jumped in to fix it. I use a WordPress theme called Site Origin North to design my website, and it has a tool, still in WordPress, called Page Builder where you can add a custom static homepage. It works be- well, but it's a bit janky to work with if you don't work in it all the time, so I'd been away from it for a while, so that's why I hesitated. The custom homepage builder lets you lay out rows of content with little blocks representing different types of content. There's a term in the biz called a hero image. That's when you have a giant background image on top of which you put your other content. My MacBook gray cover photo is the hero image, and I added the text saying the tagline and an area for the red buttons. Each button can be configured to go uh, to another page or content on the same page, and you can control the size and color, and icons of the buttons can be individually modified. I looked through all of this, and for the life of me, I couldn't see why the buttons were cut off, but only on smaller screen devices. The good news is that SiteOrigin gives the theme away for free, but you can pay the grand sum of $29 for premium support via email. I shot off an email to SiteOrigin at 8.33 p.m., and at 8.51 p.m., my new friend Alex S. from SiteOrigin responded with a solution. Somewhere along the line, I had set a static height for the graphic, which was shorter than the room necessary for all of the buttons when stacked vertically on mobile. After I got that part fixed, I noticed there was a huge gap below the gray hero image and Alex helped me get rid of that too. Now I used another tool to verify that podfeet.com would look good on pretty much any device. The tool is called Sizzy, S-I-Z-Z-Y from Sizzy.co, and it was Helmo from the Netherlands who tipped me off to this app. It does a lot of other things, but one thing it excels at is showing you a website on many different screens at once. You can see PodFeed on an iPhone 12, a Google Pixel 4 XL, a Galaxy S10, and a MacBook Air all at once. Now, Sizzy is expensive for my minor use of it at $7 per month or $199 per year. But guess what? It's also in SetApp. So I get it for my $10 a month plus all the other tools I use from SetApp. I really should spend some more time investigating everything it can do because there are at least a dozen buttons in the menu bar that I've never even pushed in Sizzy that probably do cool things. For example, I just noticed there's a rotate button so you can check each mobile device in portrait and landscape and you can even take a screenshot of each device. The bottom line is that I'm super happy that Tony wrote in to tell me about this problem and I wish somebody had told me about it a lot sooner if they'd noticed it. I want you to be like Tony and write to me if you see something wrong. I may not be able to fix it, or I may not want to fix it, but I'll try. I really like Tony's response when I explained all of this to them, him about how I found it and how I fixed the problem. He wrote, this is why I like following you. Not only did you respond to say you fixed the issue, but you also shared the detail of how you fixed it. Now, I think the homepage of podfeet.com looks much better now. And if you also, have you noticed how fast podfeet.com is? Well, I've been enjoying the new OnePassword 8 for its speed and ease of use, but I ran into an oddity that caused me to write to the folks at OnePassword for an explanation. I have an entry for a toll service called FastTrack. Annoyingly, the website for FastTrack doesn't have the word FastTrack in it. It's instead at thetollroads.com. When I want to log into my account, I can never remember the name. If you search in one password, it's always been kind of a bit limited. You can write in as many notes as you like in an entry and search will never find them because it only searches the titles of your entry. For that reason, to be able to find this particular entry, I put both fast track and theTollRoads.com in the title. Well, this week I wanted to find the entry and I knew it had the word toll in it. So I ran a search and was baffled when I got no results. I eventually found the entry manually. Being a dutiful customer of a newly released piece of software for which I'd been a beta tester, I shot off a note to 1Password support telling them it appeared they needed to do a bit more work on search. The response I got back was odd in a few ways. I was told, quote, This issue is part of an ongoing topic that we've had quite a few requests for. We have an open feature request that I'll add your feedback to for our development team to look over. A feature request? I would put that pretty squarely in the bug report category. I wrote that sentiment back, and I received a response from a different support person at 1Password. Their answer is also weird, but it's also a tiny tip on how to use 1Password. This person suggested I try using find instead of search. Wait, what? It turns out there are two totally different functions in 1Password for finding your stuff. The keystroke for search is Command-F, while the keystroke for find is Option-Command-F. Both options are in the edit menu as well. I got curious on whether there was documentation explaining this difference, so I went searching for any documentation. Or was that finding for documentation? Anyway, it took some digging, but I found this explanation in 1Password support. Quote, find items. To search 1Password, use the search field above the list of items. Search results include items, tags, categories, accounts, and vaults from the selected account or collection. Results include items with titles, sections, or fields that match the query. To find an item in the current list only, including partial word matches, use Edit Find with Option Command F. Okay, isn't that the just weirdest thing? I gave Find a try, and sure enough, it immediately found items based on partial word searches. I've written back suggesting that perhaps this is bananas. But there you have your tiny tip. Use find instead of search to find what you're looking for in 1Password 8. This week, I'm not going to panhandle for donations. Instead, I just want to thank all of you who support the show by doing other things, by sending me emails with questions and suggestions, those who join the live show to keep me and Steve entertained while I create the show, and those who participate in our Slack by helping others and posting interesting things those who have hosted the show for me in the past and will again in the future, like Alistair, and those who send in reviews for the show. And I want to thank Steve for supporting my podcasting over the last 17 years. You have no idea how much of the household duties he's taken on so I can expand the shows and play with all of you. And of course, thank you to Bart, with whom my life would be smaller and your knowledge and mine of security and programming and even bicycles would be diminished. Well, it's that time of the week again. It's time for Security Bits with Bar Shots. How are you today, Bart?
1: I am fine. Um, i just back in from a nice cycle. Um, haven't get used to being on my other bike because my good one, my good one's broken by COVID. Huh? Or rather, by China being broken by COVID. Ah, uh, missing parts, huh? Missing parts. And apparently Shimano make everything in China and the bit I need is like hen's teeth. So, uh. mm.
0: Hey, I have a very serious question I thought of today. Do you have to dust in Ireland?
1: Oh, heck yes. Because most dust... Well, most dust is dead skin. Ugh. Okay. (laughs) Most dust is from us. Okay. Well, I was wondering, because we have to dust a
0: lot here, and I was wondering, is this, like, because I live in Beyond Thunderdome here with no
1: water? (laughs) (laughs) Well, we have a thing that happens quite often where the wind blows from the southeast and it drops Sahara dust on everything. And so, like... My car will have red dust on it.
0: Oh, that's weird. Talk about a globally connected place, huh? Yeah,
1: and it's scratchy dust because it's sand from a desert. So it's not, it's it's the kind of dust you'd be very careful how you rub it off your car. You'll end up scratching your car instead of cleaning your car. You'd hate it.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. It's almost like you have to blow it off.
1: Wash. Mm. Just don't, (laughs) don't, don't rub. Just, you know, wash.
0: I learned that the sand from the desert was different from, uh, the sand that they make concrete, maybe we've talked about this before, but when we were out in, uh, in uh Dubai, they told us that uh they had to import all of the sand for <gasps> constructing all of those buildings. They are literally in the desert and they have to import sand because sand made from water is is uh uh smooth right, right like backwards it. no, the wind. No, no, wind whichever one they, they need is the opposite one of the one they have one is smooth and one is full of crevices and and oh, one wow. works for concrete and one does not
1: the, the, we have this joke you know oh, they could sell sand to an arabian but apparently you actually can <laughs> yeah, absolutely
0: is that tragic yeah they
1: need yeah. they need the
0: water kind of sand
1: Beach which sand. obviously deserts no have yeah
0: right right cool. but anyway this is not this week in sand this is a uh, security bit should we get started
1: We will, but don't worry, it's quite a light week of news. Um, Oh, goody. So my normal routine is I do half the show notes, then I go for my lunch and do half the show notes. I did the show notes, went for lunch, and continued to migrate my email because I was done. Wow, okay. So anyway, first bit of follow-up. We talked in, I checked the show, I checked because I had time. Uh, Back in um, April, we talked about the first of the two big new EU laws, the Digital Markets Act. The DMA, the bigger one of the two. Uh the implementation has been delayed until 2023. So that you know, they were ah. talking about getting it the technical detail drafted and getting it all going by the end of the year. And you seemed a bit skeptical that was plausible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you were right.
0: Everything always takes longer than you think.
1: Especially when a computer is involved. Just bring a computer in. It'll be it'll be late. It'll be late. <laughs> Even if you scotty it. Uh the last time, then, we talked about uh, more news emerging about Pegasus being used against different people around the world. And one of the stories was that 60 leaders uh, from, the Cat- from the Catalan region of Spain, which is a region that is trying to become independent, had been victims of, um, of, the, of the spyware. And the assumption was that the most likely people to have done that would be the Spanish government. But the day after we recorded, a new piece of news broke. They were done too. So Ooh. whoever it was, was interested in both sides of the conflict. And so it probably wasn't the Spanish government doing it to the Catalans. It was someone else who wanted both sides.
0: Oh, wait a minute. How does the Spanish government being attacked with this spyware definitely say it wasn't the Spanish government going after Catalan?
1: It doesn't definitely say, but it does make it more re- plausible. If, if whoever the customer was targeted both the government and the separatists, then it's probably someone outside who's interested in both sides.
0: Maybe, but it also, it, it does doesn't disprove it?
1: No, it doesn't disprove anything, because at the end of the day, we don't actually know who, who it was, and we yeah. can't. Hmm. Yeah, but it, it was interesting, because I was so sure it was going to be the government, and the next day it was the Prime Minister and the Defence Minister had been done. And that's pretty serious when your Prime Minister and your Defence Minister have their phones hacked. So, that uh, yeah. yeah, they weren't happy. They were, in fact, they were quite unhappy, to put it mildly. I'm dead. Um, in the United States, there is a House bill in the state of Ohio that uh, will explicitly criminalise electronic tracking without consent, i.e. it will be an explicit crime to stick an air tag on someone without their consent which seems reasonable to me. And I kind of assume that's covered by stalking laws already, but I guess you'd have to convince a judge that the law that was invented before electricity still applies with electronics. I don't know. But anyway, you know, make it explicit. Makes it easier. Um, And then we have some social media updates. Um, Facebook are discontinuing their nearby friends and local weather features, which you might think, oh, great, they're going to stop tracking our location data. But they're going to keep using location data, but they're not telling us how. Which (laughs) is very Facebook. Yeah. One theory I've read is that, I think it was the last time we recorded, there was a news story that they basically don't know what they do with their data. And so they're not telling us they're not using the location data, (laughs) perhaps because they don't know if they are. Oh, uh, I shouldn't laugh. That's it's tragic and scary all at once. You know, yeah. remember, move fast and break things. Right. Like the world. Um, TikTok are continuing to move towards monetization and stuff. And obviously, if you want TikTok to survive, we want them to find the a way of monetizing. I don't know if this is a good news or a bad news story, but it's a story. Um yeah. and it it's different. So they are doing ads, but they're doing it. Like, they're sort of, I don't know, the Rolls-Royce of ads? So so what they're doing is only creators who have more than 100,000 subscribers can join the program. And the ads will only be placed on the top 4% of videos. So the people buying the ads are getting a very premium product. And they're sharing 50% of the revenue with the creators, which is very high. Wow. So it's different, it's very different to your typical tiny margin sort of approach. So I'm just curious by this, like they're thinking outside the box here, so I'm really curious how that works out.
0: Yeah, so this is additional advertising, right? Yeah. You say in the show notes, it's called Pulse, because there is yes. advertising already. You know, I get a bunch of ads in my stream, but they're not necessarily okay. associated with a specific TikTok I'm watching. They're just in the stream. You know, you're, you're right. flipping through and you get an ad. So
1: they're between, is it? Yeah. 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 So this would not be between. This would be in and then the creator would get a cut. So I'm okay. guessing right now the creators don't get a cut because they're not in the mix because it's between creators.
0: But they get, uh, they get, they get cut. I mean, they're, they're making money. I don't know whether they're making a lot of money, but the big ones are. They're definitely making money
1: aren't they making money from the people they advertise? Aren't they, Isn't that the influencer model? They're not getting money from TikTok. They're getting money via TikTok. You know,
0: I don't know, because I don't see them advertising stuff in general.
1: Well, a lot of influencers is just basically, I will pay you to wear my whatever.
0: Yeah, yeah. I don't
1: know. Because you're, you get 100 million hits, and if you're wearing it, then... You're you're a walking billboard. Anyway. Yeah. So. But that's actually that's interesting. an interesting
0: idea so that it's not like it's g- going to flood everything with ads. It's the most popular videos. Video creators will have ads that are ads you're not going to see everywhere because they're only in the top 4%. Yeah.
1: That's interesting. It, it, it is very interesting. So it's a very much a, a boutique, sort of a high-end ad service. So those ads will be valuable. Therefore, you wouldn't have to sell millions of them. And the creators get... a. Darn decent cut. So yeah, that that caught my eye as being, huh, I haven't seen that before.
0: Yeah, since the Chinese government owns TikTok, I think it's really good if they have a business model.
1: Well, you enjoy TikTok, so you kind of want them to have a business model. Yeah, I do. (laughs) Um, And Twitter have taken a unique approach to spreading the news on how their privacy policies and settings work. They've made an 8-bit web game where you have to take your... your, uh, I can't remember what the dog's name was. Was the dog called Privacy or something? I played the game It's So Not For Me. Um, but it's an its interesting purpose? approach. It's What's its purpose again? To teach users about Twitter's privacy policy and how you can set up your settings to protect your privacy how you'd like.
0: Did you hate it because it was just an annoying game or... Oh too, yeah, a very annoying low? game. It, it, okay. I,
1: I was a, I, I was a an it girl with a silly dog... And the controller didn't work on my phone, and I died straight away because a cookie cat ate me, I think. What's an it-girl? An it-girl. An
0: it-girl. Okay, what's an it-girl?
1: A teenage... <sighs> <laughs> okay. A high-five, I did...
0: <laughs> I thought it was I'm a terrifying. I, I, I am trying to I'm going
1: to say a word that's not PC, so just move on. Okay, sounds good. Um, yeah, no, I, sorry, I just don't have the vocabulary to do a proper job of that. <laughs> um, we don't have any deep dives today because we did a really good one yesterday. We'll call back to somewhere in the show notes. Um, oh, but yeah, we'll, we'll get that. I wrote it somewhere. It'll be here. <laughs> uh, we have action alerts. Uh, it has been patch Tuesday. So Microsoft have released a bunch of stuff. There is a zero day in the mix, uh, which is a very important one for corporate IT because it affects Active Directory but it's probably not as big of a deal for home users but nonetheless patchy patchy patch patch uh, because it's not only that one vulnerability it's quite a bit of stuff that was patched and there is a security update for android if you can get it you should no zero days, so it's not quite panic stations and okay. you may not be able to until next week or next month or hmm. um but you know if you can do uh, which then brings us to notable news, which is where I get the call back to the chat across the pond we recorded yesterday. So the Fido Alliance and Apple and Google and Microsoft and the World World Web Consortium partnered together to release something called Passkeys that will hopefully help bring about the end of passwords. And we talked about it in great detail, but fun and human friendly and not scary. So that's uh, an entire chat across the pond.
0: Yeah, this was a, a great episode. And like Bart says, it was uh it was not particularly propeller beanie, even though he does say things like private and uh public and private keys and he says encryption a few times. It's it's uh it's a very human-friendly chit-chat across the pond light, and it is delightful because it is talking about a lovely future where we will not have passwords. And I thought this was all hooey back the last the last time we talked about it. And uh what about a year and a half ago? But uh, after hearing your description of it, I think I'm I think I'm a believer. And now I have my heart set on so they better hurry the heck up.
1: <laughs> yeah, they better get going. Right, there's three big companies there. They have the money. Go for it. Exactly. Get stuck in. Um, the second major story that it, it's it, don't panic is the first thing I'll say. So security researchers have found a hardware bug in Apple's M1 and A14 chips, and it's it's one of those. Like, like the, all of those ones that have hit Intel in the last couple of years, basically optimization bad. Because optimizations always involve the chip guessing what you're going to do next and pre-fetching an operation that it may or may not ever be asked to do. And so there are situations where the chip will fetch into memory things that the processing question has no right to, but the chip has thinks you might need sometime. And so you're basically leaking information by doing this optimization. Now, there's no real-world way of actually doing anything nefarious with it at the moment. That's not to say someone won't figure out a way to make this into a real attack. So at the moment, this is a bunch of academics going, oopsie, Apple should have done that. (laughs) Uh, And they have disclosed everything properly to Apple. So the security researchers themselves don't have their hair on fire, and they're not suggesting any of us get our hair on fire. But nonetheless... Apple are not immune from over-optimizing. And, you know, so they will presumably fix this in future chips. So if you hear something about, oh, the M1 is doomed, no, it isn't.
0: So in this, in the case of the Intel chips, they were able to at least on big servers and things, they they changed the way they ran the optimization so that it wasn't vulnerable, is that right? It, and it slowed yeah, yeah, well, things down because they couldn't do this pre-crime thing?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yes. Short answer is yes. Uh, So a, a lot of, if you're in an environment where you're sharing multiple operating systems, sharing CPUs with each other, which is basically virtualization, the cloud. Right. They just turned off the optimizations. That was the only thing they could do to keep the isolation was to make sure that there was only one operating system per chip.
0: So we don't do that with Macs, do we? No. So this bug is academic, as you say?
1: At the moment, this bug is academic. Like, uh, as Bruce Schneier says, you know, bugs never get better. They only, you know, software vulnerabilities never get better. They only get worse. Someone mm-hmm. may discover a way to do something useful with this. But right now it is an academic curiosity.
0: Okay. But
1: it's a, it's a, it's got the word Apple in it. It's got the word M1 in it. And it's got the word vulnerability in it. So it is very good way to sell ads and clickbait.
0: Wait so a minute. You I, don't see see a, uh, I don't see a fire extinguisher on this one. Can I go find it? Put one in. Um,
1: you actually, yeah, it's worthy of a fire extinguisher. Yeah,
0: um, I've never put them in myself. I'm very excited to get to do it.
1: <laughs> Yay! Uh, in terms of tips and tricks, um, oh, I seem to have somehow gotten these somewhat backwards. I had meant to put the legacy contacts in the tips and tricks. Uh, although, actually, no, this, I guess, eh, I'll let you put those wherever you want. But okay, okay. so. And Naked Security also have a one of those articles that's really useful that you hope you never need. Um, mm. it's, it's kind of a two-part article. So the first part is a real-world description of some recent um, malicious activity involving... Okay, so the bad guys hack someone's email account, and they're going to use that to try get something for themselves. How are they doing that today? And the answer is that they're hacking into people's email and then sending out emails to all of the contacts Asking them, do you happen to have an Amazon account? Any chance you could help me out here? I just need to buy this voucher and then I'll pay you back later. Right. So you know how that's going to go. You buy the voucher, you hand it over, and you never see a penny. So that's, sure. how they're pl- that's how they're cashing out from hacking email addresses at the moment, which is interesting to see the exchange. Mm-hmm. But the actual useful part is part two of the article, which is, so if this happens a friend of yours, what advice do you give them? And so the, the it actually has a little copy and paste snippet that you should send to them going, hi, your account is hacked, here's what's happened, here you should do. And it's just, you know, rather than trying to make it up yourself, why not take one that Paul Ducan has written for you and just <laughs> copy and paste it in. So I have it linked, uh, I have it saved in my um, for reference folder in Pocket. And I hope I never need it, but it's good.
0: You know, uh, I think I've told this story on here before, but I got exactly this request from Dr. Mary Ann Gary. Hey, oh. I've got a problem. Uh, I need an a uh, $100 Apple iTunes uh, gift card, and uh, could you, uh, you know, I've got a problem with my credit card and everything. Could you send it to me? And I was like... Heck to the no, I'm not doing that. Of course not. So I'm not, I figure I can't write to her because obviously she's been hacked. So I wrote to her wife and her w- wife wrote back and said, no, that's, it's real. Marianne actually does need it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Okay, so it does happen the odd time.
0: She runs into the weirdest stuff with U.S. credit cards and New Zealand credit cards and and Apple IDs that are in the U.S. versus New Zealand because she's got dual citizenship and she she's here sometimes. It's a giant mess. So it was actually real, but uh, my instincts were good.
1: Your instincts were very good. And ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the time, it's a scam. Now, do a like really the- good with laundry money
0: the very first thing that uh, that they say that adam says in this uh, adam Eng says in this article is none of this would have happened if they had strong unique passwords for their email so the, the if you want if you want to keep this from happening convince people to do that and as we've talked about before many times oddly enough your email is the password you probably want to protect the most like ahead of your bank because if, you're, yeah. if your email gets hacked, it doesn't matter how long your, your password is to your bank, they send the password request to your email. If somebody's already in your email, then they can change your password to your bank. So the number one thing, if you only change one, change that one.
1: Yeah. And ironically, the bad guys will probably set a stronger password on your bank account than you did. <laughs> so you'll be proper locked out. <laughs> yeah, good point. Good point. Yeah. Uh, so I'm gonna get you to move the next story up into top tips as well because it's not an excellent explainer, it is in fact the top tip. Um okay. so this is I so one of the features that came with iOS 15 was the ability to have legacy contacts and it was in beta for so long that it kept on coming into my RSS feed when I couldn't do it yet. And I, I just kept it on the long finger because it's like whenever they release release this version of iOS, I really should do that legacy contact thing. And then it happened and the instructions weren't in my RSS feed anymore and it sort of got forgotten about. So this week, the uh, guys over at iMore updated their articles so it pinged back into the top of my RSS reader and I did it. And I got my, my parents to do it. I got the better half to do it. So legacy contacts are a way for your family to get into your iCloud account if the worst happens to you. And so, so this how will work you better than
0: just sharing your one password or last pass or key pass to your significant
1: other. Well, you can do this with people you wouldn't entrust with everything. Because okay. this is a code they can only use in conjunction with a death certificate. Right. So you can give this to someone who is perhaps someone who like to give someone your full details that it gets them into your like mortgage account and everything, you really, really, really that's very few people on Planet Earth you do that for. Like, right. I frankly, I will only do that to my husband.
0: Exactly. But once you've done that, then what is the value of this? If if you um, have that one person you trust with the into all the keys.
1: Well, the simple fact is, the two of us are on the road together. Yeah, the yeah. two of us fly together. There is no like we spend we spend an awful lot of time together. If something icky happens non-zero chances, both of us. It does remind me of when Steve and I first made our trust.
0: Uh, The the lawyer was really funny. He said, okay, so uh, uh, Allison dies, Steve gets the money, Steve dies, Allison gets the money, right? We said, right. And they said, okay, Allison, Steve are on a plane trip to... uh, to Alabama and the plane crashes, uh, who gets the money? Okay, the two kids. All right, Allison Steve, Lindsay and Kyle are uh, uh, on a uh, small cruise ship up to Alaska and they hit an iceberg and it goes down. Who gets the money next? And each time it was just wider and wider and bigger and bigger disasters. We were all on vacation and a hurricane hits and, and you just can make up these like elaborate scenarios that kept us kind of laughing as you're thinking about something that you really, really, really don't want to think about. But uh, yeah, that you're right. There's Steve and I are together a lot.
1: Yeah. And the other thing is as 2FA becomes more and more of a thing, just sharing your one password may not be enough. Because if you lose if this if you know the cell phone or whatever gets if, particularly if it's a bank that's still using SMS based yeah. 2FA, when the person dies, the cell phone company may cut off service. That may be their policy. Just kill it, at which point you've been locked out.
0: Right, right. So uh, in our Slack at podfeet.com slash Slack in the Security Bits channel, we've been running a little contest to see who can get the highest score in Watchtower in the new uh, 1Password 8. And it's been a lot of fun. Sandy's still beating me by 30 points, so I've got to get to, in there do some more work. But one of the things they in, in Watchtower now is is it gives you a block that says, these are the sites that have um, two-factor authentication and you have not enabled it yet. And they they had that in a form before, but now... It's just it's so cool. You go to the website, you find the 2FA, you tell it to turn it on and a QR code will come up on the web uh, on the website. Inside 1Password, there's a button that says scan the QR code. And you don't have to like used to have to try to drag a window over the QR code to see it. And then that got disabled. It stopped working in 1Password 7. But now you just press this button. It goes, okay, got it. And it shows you the the code. You copy the code simply by clicking and you paste it in the website. It goes, okay, you're good to go. Here's your backup codes. You're done and uh there's a reason i brought this up oh what i was excited about was a couple of sites that i had 2fa through sms now had 2fa where i was able to change it to real 2fa and i was super excited yeah so there there more and more
1: sites are starting to do it well imagine the fido future we talked about yesterday you're Mm -hmm. gonna need access to someone's icloud account to get at those pass
0: Those right. passkeys
1: are not going to be in your oh, control because the whole point is the operating system manages them for you.
0: Right, right. Okay, so uh, you remind me of that in 14 years when Fido actually uh, works. Right,
1: but it's, I, I think there's a lot to be said for having like a belts and suspenders approach to these things. Apple have a really good mechanism here for easily getting into the iCloud. So it's very easy to turn on. You literally click a button. And particularly if you are both in a family share... If you're both family sharing, it's actually, you just push a button and the other person's code is just in your iPhone. Literally, they don't have to do anything. If you're not in a family share, they have to print out a QR code and just put it in their safety deposit box with their passport and whatever else they keep safe. Okay. So even for not people on your family share, it's easy. But for people on your family share, it's spectacularly easy. Okay.
0: Good. Okay. Well, f- I'm finally putting in my, I looked at it once before and I thought, ah, I don't need this, but you're right. Fine. Well, I'm putting it in my to-do do list. Secondary. I need a new to-do hey. app
1: because this one's full. <laughs> I liked you for what it's worth, just to throw that into the mix. <laughs> uh, okay. So where have I gotten to? Uh, interesting insights. Um, so it's very rare that I listen to security podcasts and I go away going, oh, that was nice. Because <laughs> uh, usually it's like... Uh, well, there was one on, I'm, I'm listening to all the back episodes of Malicious Life. It's a really good podcast. And I'm getting to really like uh, the Israeli accent from the host. Getting really, so, I really like his, his delivery style. It's very funny. Uh, but the episode title is, Can Nuclear Power Plants Be Hacked? Question mark. Oh, that sounds fun, Bart. Yeah, I wasn't expecting it to be. But having listened to how they, attack secu- how they deal with security, I was like, oh, okay. That's one thing I should be less worried about. Plenty else to be worried about here on planet Earth, but that that one's better. So if you want to be strangely cheered up, have a listen to that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And then I'm actually into palate Cleansers. Um, So I have two audio ones and a not audio one. Um, So you put me onto this. So you pointed me towards Alan Alda's podcast and we are both gigantic fans now. And Alan Alda is a fantastic interviewer. That's called Clear and Vivid, by the way. And the spin-off, Clear and Vivid Science, or Science Clear and Vivid. Can't remember where the science goes, it's in the mm-hmm. front of the back. By the way, it's it's fun. Well, he he was the interviewee on another podcast I, I dip in and out of called uh, Bullseye with Jesse Thorne. And Jesse Thorne is also a very good interviewer. And he interviews Alan Alda about interviewing. It's fun. Fantastic. It is oh. such a fun conversation. Um, it really so, was.
0: I liked it too. You tipped me off to it.
1: I did actually. Yeah, as soon as I heard it, I thought you'd love it, so I shared it with you straight away. That's right. Yeah, it was fun. Uh and then the other one that I just really enjoyed, I was listening to the, the first half of it was from a week or two ago, but the second half of it came out this week and I was listening to it on the bike yesterday. Uh it is from another podcast I adore called 20,000 Hertz and it's all about sound because 20,000 hertz is the frequency of human hearing, which is why the name of the podcast. And it's literally anything to do with sound. Hmm. And it's a two-part episode on startup chimes on computers, with a particular focus on the Windows ones. And particularly the second one, I was really, really surprised by how... So the second one is interviews with the actual people who wrote the ones for their most recent versions of Windows. And the amount of thought they have put into the audio feel, the audio environment of Windows 11 is amazing. And it really does explain to me why Windows 11 gives me a happy, homey feel that I didn't understand why. It sort of feels polished like a Mac does, which is not something I would have ever said about Windows XP or Windows Windows 8 or anything like that. But honest to goodness, Windows 11 feels Mac-like. And now that I understand how much work has gone into just making the audioscape work, it's like, if they've put that much care into everything else, that explains why this feels like a polished OS. And so I just loved it. So the first one is called, ta-da, it's Windows, which is obviously a call back to the early startup chimes. And the second one is called windows underscore logon.wav, because it turns out that although Windows 10 did not have a startup chime, it did. You just had to go find it. It's a secret file hidden on the computer.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: Yeah, which, of course, we get to hear in the podcast. So that, that was fun. So anyway, there they they were, they were three fun podcasts. Uh, and then the last thing I have is a couple of... That's a good time ago. I linked to this amazing article about how cameras work with these, like, interactive 3D models. You could slide sliders on and stuff on the mouse. Yeah. And it really showed you how a camera worked. And it was really cool. Well, the guy does this... Oh, all the time. Now, he doesn't put out, like, five a week, because these take an amazing amount of time. But he's put one out on how mechanical watches work. I've seen this. Oh, my God. It is... It is amazing how much is packed into those teeny tiny little things. It is absolutely stunning. And the the genius of how every part does about three or four things, which is why you can make, you know, the 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 same complexity of a grandfather clock fit into a pocket watch. And it's just because every every everything has been thought through, right? Every spindle is holding five or six things. It's just, oh, it's brilliant. And he builds it up so slowly that you're going, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. And you go, oh, that was clever. Oh, that was clever. And then before you know it, you have this amazing mechanism. It's it's just so beautiful.
0: And it yeah. is fun because you get to play along. Like you said, you get to drag the little sliders and see how things move. And and it, and it just gets, keep, keeps getting deeper and deeper into exactly how they're done.
1: Yeah, it's it's amazing. And the, the fact that everything can be rotated in 3D is very important for this one because it's so small and fiddly sometimes. The fact that you can just rotate it around and really get a look. It's, yeah, the CAD models I, I, this person does is just amazing. Yeah, that 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 takes some serious skill with CAD. Like this person is really darn good at it. So anyway, I really really enjoyed it. So I thought I'd share it with everyone.
0: Very cool. Well, there's actually one more palette cleanser. I, I tagged oh, you in in Slack, but I guess you didn't see it. It was from Alistair. It's a tweet from uh, somebody whose Twitter handle is underscore underscore fembot with a zero. It's a screenshot of a, uh, a, a, a from a class they were taking. It says CS forty six twenty intelligent systems. Changing random stuff until your program works is hacky and bad coding practice. But if you do it fast enough, it is machine learning and pays four times your current salary.
1: Oh, that's brilliant. That is kind of what machine learning is. Just keep yeah. guessing until you get it right. Just do it fast enough.
0: Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I love that. I, I wanted to make sure Alistair got a shout out for He posted that in uh, in Delete Me, which is the funnest channel in our
1: Slack. <laughs> it, yeah. And Alistair is a prolific provider of distractions. In that yeah. Channel. He
0: almost always wins uh, Delete Me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Cool. And of course, the Slack is always fun. So another plug for the Slack.
0: Well, this was a surprisingly happy Security Bits. And if you combine that with our, uh, our chit-chat across the pond on
1: Fido, it was a happy week. Yeah, it was good. All security news, all happy. This long may it last. Long may it last. Anyway, folks, regardless of the fact that it was all good news, there were still some security updates. So you do still have to do what I tell you every time, which is to stay patched so you stay secure.
0: Well, that's going to wind up this 17th anniversary show. As I mentioned, the people I appreciate are those who email me at allison at podfeet.com. They send me questions and suggestions. You can do that too. You can also follow me on Twitter at podfeet. Now remember, everything good starts with podfeet.com. If you want to join in the fun of the conversation, join our Slack community at podfeet.com slash Slack. In there, you can talk to me and all of the other lovely No Castaways. And uh, you know what? You could support the show at podfee.com slash Patreon or with a one-time donation at podfee.com slash PayPal. And if you want to join in the fun of the live show, like we had a big audience for the big celebration this week, just head on over to podfee.com slash live on Sunday nights at 5 p.m. Pacific time and join the friendly and enthusiastic Nocilla Castaways. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.